Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. In a world where Hollywood executives decide some scripts should never be made, one podcast will stand in defiance. Experience the worst Hollywood has to offer with readings of the scripts you never wanted. Gordon has his gun in his mouth. This time, he's loaded the bullets into the gun. He must have taken a class. (laughs) Wow, I'm getting to be a better cop. (laughs) Table Reads, bringing to life the worst movies never made at a podcast app near you. This is the Triple C Podcast. Talking all things comics, culture, and cosplay. With Josh, Mari, Kevin, and Zach. Welcome one, welcome all to a stacked and loaded episode of the Comics Culture and Cosplay Podcast. I am your host for the week. My name is Kevin. I'm joined by Josh and Zach, no Mari this week. And before we get started with the buffet of trailers and more for you today, as well as a salute to one of the greatest shows on television, want to take a second to pay the bills and give a big shout out to Fandom Limb Media. That's fandomlimb.com. You can find our show as well as others such as The Goblin Cave, A Swift Review, Dukes of Gaming. I watch this as an adult license to watch and much, much more. So, before we get started, how you guys, how you guys doing? How was your Labor Day? We took a little bit of a break, but now we are back, um, definitely in full force. You guys do anything, uh, anything interesting? I know Zach, Zach, you you and I did, you and I did, but we'll get on, we'll get into that towards the end of the show. Well, I would say technically that wasn't Labor Day, or okay. well, I guess well, it was this weekend. <laughs> it was yeah, Shit, between Labor Day and now. Uh, yeah, 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 between Labor Day and now. Um, I slept a lot. I didn't do anything. It's really wow. nice having your birthday occasionally roll around on Labor Day. Uh, in some ways, it's really nice because oh, I have the day off for my birthday. But on the other hand, uh, most of the people you would like to celebrate it with are generally off seeing family on Labor Day, which is completely understandable, of course. Um, but you know, it's like oh, I'd like to, you know, you go to celebrate your birthday, and it's like no, because everybody wants to go with their family, and so it's like so. Then you're like, you know what? We'll move, do it the weekend after, and we'll do it with cool people that are actually there, like Kevin. Uh, before we jump in, jump in proper, let's talk about some of these D23 and Ubisoft announcements. Uh, mainly, what we do on the show, we can't cover everything, especially with these two companies, the D23 conference and Ubisoft just dropping a bunch of things in our laps. So we're just going to talk about the things that stuck out to us. So uh, before I weigh in um, with my pound of thoughts or whatever uh what, what what do you guys what do you guys think about not only d23 but some of the uh some of the assassin's creed announcements because there are four assassin's creed games up on the horizon so i didn't i want to be clear i didn't watch d23 or the ubisoft announcements uh i just get them after the fact in trailer format which i love mm. um 
we're getting some kind of Captain America and Black Panther game set in World War II, which is odd because that seems like it'll be setting up a pre-existing relationship between Captain America and Black Panther, which, I, I mean, there's no problem with that. It just seems like more people would have heard of Black Panther then, maybe. Uh, so that one's a little weird. Uh, I hope that Ahsoka is is going to be as good as it looks like it is right now. Um, I'm not really all that hyped for Secret Invasion. I just never really liked that storyline all that much. I, I bet Josh is going to go nuts for it. Uh, and I, I'm sorry, Andor, I still don't care about you any more than I did before. Uh, Diego Luna is a great actor, but he's not enough to sell me on Andor because it's discount Kyle Katarn. And I have to get that out of my soul. And it's a it, and it's a show that ends in a movie where everyone you know everyone's gonna die already. So like, I I know what you mean. Like I like Rogue One as far as the new Star Wars ga- movies go, but uh, I don't know. I just can't get myself invested in someone I know is going to die horribly. But anyway, uh, Josh, what 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 jumped out at you? Well, I again I was unaware of the Ubisoft uh, announcements because D23 completely overshadowed the you know news spectrum for this weekend which is interesting yeah, that don't, don't worry about it we'll get back to we'll get back to Ubi disappointment and their trailers in a minute but we're here to talk about um interesting the glo- stuff the glorious is- house of mouse <laughs> well you mean uh, our corporate uh social o- cultural overlords i meant cultural indeed indeed like the marvel stuff yeah like i mean I'm going to watch Secret Invasion just because and not even because it's like Marvel. So it's I consider it required watching. But because if we get more out of Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury than we had in any of the movies in out of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, you know, he's always I always found it interesting that they gave Fury for the MCU such a backseat role when in the Ultimate Comics, which is the adaptation they pull Nick Fury's portrayal from, he is a very key and pivotal player uh, in the Ultimates world, and even from the mainstream Marvel Universe, because Nick Fury is like, what would happen if the original head of the OSS during World War II, Wild Bill Donovan, had kept going and kept being a spy master supreme, and like, you know, a, a member of the ungentlemanly war, as it was called by many of our British counterparts. So I like that. I like that we're getting more fury. I it's going to be interesting to see how they do this, considering the original Secret Invasion was such a huge arc that involved a lot of weird conspiracies that were interwoven into Marvel over the years. Werewolf by Night. It looks cheesy. It looks bad. I'm completely here for it because it's great no. that we. I, I, when I say no. bad, when I say bad, I mean like good bad. It looks very <laughs> 1940s, 50s B horror. Like I look at this and I think yes, of the original weird. Wolfman from the from the golden age of cinema. I think of things like Creature from the Black Lagoon, uh, the original War of the Worlds film from the 1950s, all of that good black and white classic stuff, or even like the kind of black and white horror that Sven Gulli is famously known for showing on his program. And if we get that level of cheese with that level of intense violence that you expect with the character of Werewolf by Night, I'm here for it. I watched the trailer for The Little Mermaid, and I'm going to be judging this movie hard, not for the cast, but because the original animated Little Mermaid is such a pivotal part of mine and Zach's respective childhood, even though we were not into that movie because you girls had cooties when we were little kids, except for characters like Wendy. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa
Little Mermaid as a child. I mean, because I, guess... I thought being a fish person would be cool. I guess I, I guess it's because I guess for me it's because I guess my uh, my childhood was completely overshadowed by having a very intense Peter Pan phase brought about by watching Hook multiple times from Blockbuster. But like, yeah, I re- no offense, you were the weird kid who who like got super into like. Listen, I had a Peter Pan phase, no denying that. I I listen, I even had somewhere out there, hopefully gone forever. There may be a picture of young Zach in a Peter Pan outfit. Um, <laughs> that we're going to be posting on our socials uh pretty soon so keep an eye i uh... will destroy you (laughs) oh Uh, god you know where i live oh no yes i do uh luckily i'm pretty sure those photos are gone forever lost in the basement flood uh but yeah listen i had a peter pan phase too but it was disney peter pan not not hook which there's nothing wrong with hook but hook is not a kid's movie okay hook is not a kid's movie i mean i will argue that if only because I was a kid when I watched it and I came out okay. And if anything, it just gave me a deeper respect. That doesn't make it a kid's movie. It's about depressed Robin Williams as an adult Peter Pan. Yes. That hits different nowadays. Jesus Christ. Yes, it does. Language. But I think what I think I'm going to, I may watch it if it, if, the trailer if the if there's a fuller trailer that hits well because this was just a trailer that literally set itself up the way the original trailer for the movie did which is just a montage of ariel swimming under the sea and then her singing the pivotal line from part of your world like they literally just almost did a shot for shot recreation of the original animated trailer but mixed it up a little and that's why i'm like be different be unique heck the live action beauty and the beast trailer was different from was more was very was starkly different from the animated original and okay, that, but that wasn't a great movie and eh, i agree to disagree there were things i loved about it like the cast was good and they had good songs but the animated film oh, just absolutely. hits a certain the animated film just hits a certain way we're dealing with Disney animated adaptations. Like we can't act like it's going to no, be but, but super it's, great. Like, the bar but, was already set really high. Now, one that I am excited for that we only got a poster for is Peter Pan and Wendy, because I feel mm. like with the Jungle Book, where the Jungle Book was a combination of both the original animated film and the Rudyard Kipling novel, we'll get the same thing with this movie. We'll get a healthy balance between James Barry's original novel, which predated the play by at least a year, and the classic Disney film. That's why, I mean, the title alone is very telling because that was the title of the original novel. So if that's any indicator. Uh Overall, I'm just I, like a lot of really great stuff came out of D23 movies, shows. Uh, Zach, I know you're a huge fan of the Percy Jackson series. You have been for years. I, no, hang on a minute. I read the books. <laughs> you had multiple <laughs> copies of the books in your no, closet. I, didn't. Yes. I have one copy of the books. You had like the first series. The only, no, the only thing I have multiple copies of is Lord of the Rings. And Dad told you I not have... to go into Zach's room. Come on now. <laughs> what are you doing? Um, by no, the way, but- I do want to say, I want to give a special quick shout out. Uh, I am looking forward to Tales of the Jedi with young Count Dooku. But mm. listen, listen, voice actor, whoever you're going to be, you've got some shoes to fill, sir. Oh, my God. For real. Yeah, no, they need, they need to get they need to get someone good for that. I mean, I, 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 I don't know how you're going to stack up to Christopher Lee or even try to, but... Uh, they're definitely going to try to. Uh, you know, um, in- they uh, they got Corey Burton. 
They got Corey Burton. Uh, he's the voice of Dooku and Cad Bane in the animated uh, spinoffs. Oh, okay. All right, well, so we're going to be fine then. Go. Never mind. They already okay. had him lined up. Uh, I do. <laughs> yeah. I, I do want to take. Oh, I'm sorry. I do want to take one second. Uh, at least on the limited footage we got for limit for Little Mermaid, it looks like they finally fixed whatever hideous, creepy ass CG issues they've been having where people aren't quite looking right. So, it, it, you know, hopefully we're not going to spend the entire time looking at Ariel's bottom half and going, mm, eh, "I ain't right," because that will ruin the movie really fast. Yeah. Definitely. Um, Secret Invasion looks, I, I'm worried about how generic it's going to ultimately be, even though I, I'm really looking at, when it comes to Marvel shows in particular, I'm just looking at what they're going to do artistically. Like, how do they compare against each other? And there's not much besides, like, more color saturation or less, like, you know, Secret Invasion looks a little bit darker. But Werewolf by Night set me off. This thing looks like it's shot in the style of the lighthouse. I know they're not going to go there with it, but uh, oh God, it looks like they're actually trying something visually with that. So I, I'm surprisingly the most excited for Werewolf by Night. I doubt Moon Knight is going to show up despite Moon Knight having debuted in the Werewolf by Night comic. I don't think he's going to be there, um, but yeah, and this this World War II game, this this Black Panther Captain America game looks interesting. I don't know how much in the comics we get about like you know the Germans during World War II trying to invade Wakanda or something like that. But um, I guess it's an interesting angle. We'll see how the gameplay is. And now I guess going over to the world of oversaturation, let's look at these four Assassin's Creed games that got announced. One fully, three are are just code name, et cetera, et cetera, right? So we have uh, the next big mainline Assassin's Creed that's going to be Assassin's Creed Mirage, set in the golden age of Islam in uh, in Baghdad. And uh, I don't know much about the characters. It looks like it's kind of going back to a more Altair-ish sort of classic Assassin's Creed, uh, but updated with the, the lessons and gameplay of uh, some of the newer games, but that's just speculation on my part. We also have Codename Jade, which is going to take place in ancient China, uh, and that's going to be a mobile game. Codename Red, which is going to be an Assassin's Creed game in Japan. And uh, Assassin's Creed Hexa, Hexi. Uh, not much is known about this. I'm guessing it's the, it's Salem. It has something to do with Salem and, and the witch trials. Uh, it might be but going I back to Greece. It might be going back to Greece. You think? Like Hecate? Sort of a, yeah. sort of a thing? Hmm. That, um, that could be interesting. But, like. Odyssey 2. I got to say, the the one set in Baghdad, I'm really, I'm cautiously optimistic because, right, starting with Assassin's Creed Origins, uh, I didn't, how do I say this? They've made really good games. They were not the gameplay that I played Assassin's Creed for. If that makes every, sense, right? There every no, everyone that I've spoken to, that's like a big fan a of, depart- of Odyssey, feels that way too. Well, right, Origins, Odyssey, and whatever the most recent one is, Ragnarok. Like, first of all, stop this. Like, I know Ubisoft can't, and and I know it's not like a a design decision the developers get to make, but this games is a live service horseshit in my single player game. Please stop it. Um, But besides that, I am the assassin. I push the button, I stab them. 
they die. Right? I liked basically playing another version of Metal Gear Solid with cool-ass parkour, right? And this looks like they're going back to that, so I'm excited about that. Yeah, Uh, it looks promising. I haven't played any of these newer Assassin's Creed games. I dropped out at four. I'm like, I've lived out my pirate fantasies. I'm good. I've gotten scurvy. I, I, I took down some big boss ships i'm fine i'm good i'm good and apparently i dropped off at just the right time because i think assassin's creed unity was right after that but uh yeah we'll see we'll see about this i mean i'm interested to see what hex is about i really hope it it, it takes place during the salem witch trial i think that's a really cool setting for an assassin's creed game but yeah uh, holy oversaturation batman jeezy pete um, but well, speaking, I want to know what Josh yeah. thinks, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. Josh played the bejesus out of, um, come on, brain, Odyssey. Two, three. Ah. So I'm going to just be trepidatiously cautious about these upcoming games, mainly because it, it, it does boil down to an oversaturation thing. Like, this feels like way too much. I'd have said the same thing about the Assassin's Creed franchise previously, and then I got to tear my way through the Peloponnesian War in ancient Greece in Assassin's, in Assassin's Creed Odyssey and take on you know the Minotaur of the, of the myth of Theseus and kill a Cyclops and hang out with philosophers and you know pal around pal around with like you know Greek like figures of ancient Greek history and whatnot. So I'm like, okay, this game is pretty cool. Plus getting to upgrade your armor constantly. Like at one point I had the golden fleece of Jason and the rest of his armor and Poseidon's trident, as well as the Warhammer of uh uh either Ares or Jason. So I was like, I was a bad mother hugger. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Like, like uh, <laughs> hoplites could not stand against me. That, that's like, and, mm that's a whole bunch of design decisions I have a problem with, but Hey, that's not what we're here to talk about. Speaking of things that I have design decision problems with cyberpunk 2077. uh, We have discovered that there's going to be one and only one uh, expansion. It's going to be paid. uh, So already you're disappointing the hell out of people for the Witcher three based on what you established, which is the with, with the Witcher three, we will be getting Keanu back, which is cool, I guess, but you listen, you CD Project Red. You have a whole lot of work to do to get me to put down any money for this expansion at all after the 
garbage fire disaster that was the launch of Cyberpunk 2077. I, I've never played a Witcher game. I have I rented Cyberpunk on, on PS4 around the time it came out. For whatever reason, it made me sick and I returned it immediately. So that's my experience with it. Uh, I, what I like, especially about these announcements, I don't know, in the t- topic of The Witcher 5, which was also announced, it looks like CD Projekt Red is planning The Witcher games in terms of trilogies in terms of sagas they they're considering the first three games its own kind of arc and then witcher four through six is going to be its own now saga which i really like that there's some kind of a plan going forward story-wise it feels like you're building to something for years to come and even if it's a franchise that i'm not i personally don't have a lot of experience with it at least feels good it makes me more rewarded for going in and playing Witcher 3 and then eventually go, going into those games. Um, you know, the latest patch will also end support for Cyberpunk 2077 on last-gen consoles, which I don't think CDPR should have developed it for last-gen to begin with. I think they've they robbed themselves of, of, of a lot of resources and caused themselves a lot of trouble. And I think it just should have been some sort of big next gen exclusive thing that would drive people to next gen because like the or, or current gen or what, whatever the PS5 is, right? PS5, current Xbox generation, because that generation is still struggling to justify itself. It, it needs more exclusives. And this is coming from a PS4 person, right? Like, you know, don't 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 hawk uh, awful, uh, horribly optimized versions onto this console and just call it a day. Just don't even bother. Just make something good and don't waste your time. Like I'll, we'll be okay, really. But um, anyway, this pointless rant is to say that I am less trepidatious about going into Witcher Three. I guess that's a good thing because then you're just you're at that point of not giving a care, and. More power to you, I guess, because some people will probably just be like, really like, like, it'll be like if you go to the buffet and you want to try the fish, but you don't know if you want to try the fish because you think you, because something feels funny, even though other people are like, ooh, this looks fantastic. Nom, nom, nom. It's like, you're like that guy at the buffet who just doesn't care. You're just going to go. Uh, Josh, <laughs> no. you might say there was something fishy. Oh, oh, God. <laughs> Keep keep your keep your your fish market to yourself, my friends. That's why that's why you were banned from the bus stop last last week. Jeez. So one of the other things that we like to do on this show, on occasion, I say on occasion because we this is not going to suddenly become a thing that we'll do every time. But there are certain moments in cultural history that roll around that we need to at least acknowledge, even if they are not as significant to other members of our team or other people in the world. But uh, this week on Saturday, September 17th, will mark the 50th anniversary of a television show that has, despite being off the air for 50 for years now, has managed to continue to stand tall on the shoulders of other programs and is held up by many people. Uh, like a very large fan base and a large like population that consider it to be a seminal program in television history. I'm speaking of course of mash, which was on the air from 72 to 83 ran for 11 seasons, had multiple awards 
including outstanding multiple Emmy awards. In fact, over 100, it was nominated for 100 during its 11 year run and won 14. So Kevin, I know you, we talked about this briefly off air, but you did a little digging into the show and there was something that just stood out to you as, uh, significantly about a particular episode. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's right. Um, so I, personally, I'm gonna be honest. I don't have a, a huge experience with, with mash. However, there are times, you know, I'll go back to my parents, they're watching TV land or something and mash is on. And I, I, I'm really surprised by how great the pacing of the of the show is, how great the characterization and acting is. And I don't normally like a lot of media from the 70s with Scorsese, Star Wars, Indiana Jones being notable exceptions. But MASH just does something right in a, in a very universal kind of a way. Uh, and there's one episode that I found in particular. It's called George, right? This is season two, episode 22. And um, I, I unfortunately don't know the, the year that it came out. I, I want, let, let's just say, you know, mid to late, mid to late seventies. And um, it's an episode uh, that involves a, a gay serviceman who gets transferred to Hawkeye, the main character, not the Hawkeye you're thinking of, but the main character of MASH is called Hawkeye. Um, his unit, and he operates on him. And, and basically another member of the unit, and, and mind you, this is the 70s talking about the 50s. And, and you have, uh, you know, a, a, gay, a gay serviceman having to hide their identity. And the word gets out, rumor gets out through the grape, grapevine about, about his identity. And then this other, I, I'm going to use a bad term here, but this is this horrible douchebag of a person uh, with, within the unit was trying to basically discredit them, right? And then Hawkeye stood up for him. And it was one of the few moments in in media and tv and in film where the message was unequivocally that that gay that queer people lgbtq plus people deserve a place in the military deserve as much respect as anyone else and for the time that is so rare to to state that unequivocally um for like the the mid to late 70s so i mean that is such a, a huge moment for culture for for tv i mean that that i i salute mash for alone if not the writing that i've seen personally so um you know if there is one episode to check out i would say season two episode 22 look up george um or the episode just called george uh that, that would be you know a good introduction to the uh cultural impact of mash but anyway back back to you josh i think i think you've got a you can speak to a lot more towards uh towards the show and its impact as well well yeah and not just the show but the uh the mash quote-unquote franchise as a whole because it was originally a novel written back in 1978 by richard hooker and then it was adapted into a full-length feature film in 1970 that actually went on to uh acclaim great fame at the uh, Palms d'Or seven uh, winning uh, at the uh, Cannes Film Festival in, in 1970 and got five Academy Award nominations and one for Best Adapted Screenplay. Like the show is great, but the movie is also good. Kevin, you'd recognize some of these actor names. Donald, Donald Sutherland, Elliot Gold, Tom Skerritt, oh, sure. Robert Duvall. Uh, if you remember, Kev, from watching uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Rene Abergena, who played Odo. Uh, but like 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 the movie had a lot of big names in it, but the show is also famous because it was very grounded and very human. And it another example of just really quickly how it stood out was the exit of a particularly well-known character for the first three seasons, uh, the unit commander, Henry Blake. 
And one of those big things about obviously with the war and with the show is the opportunity for soldiers to be able to go home. You know, like if they've like finished their tour of duty and, you know, Colonel Blake's character had been like the long suffering head of this mash unit, putting up with Hawkeye and everybody else's pranks and stuff. But how they end his time is that he's supposed to get to go home to Illinois. And then this was completely unplanned. But if you watch the end of that episode, uh, the corp, the uh, company clerk, Corporal Radar O'Reilly comes in and reads, quote, I have a message. Lieutenant Colonel Henry Blake's plane was shot down over the Sea of Japan. It spun in. There were no survivors. And if you watch that scene, just even that scene, because I remember talking about this in college, ironically enough, that episode for pacing, for writing, none of the writers or the directors told the cast that they were going to kill Colonel Blake's character. Mm. And so when you see the looks on everyone's faces in the OR, the shock, the emotion, the tears, that is not just good acting. That is legitimate human emotion, not just packaged Hollywood performances. And that is another reason why this show slaps, quote unquote, so hard, (laughs) even in 2022. It does hold up. Like it it really, like the couple episodes I've seen, there are very few shows where it just happens to be on and I'm like, all right, I'll give it a shot. Okay. I got to watch a couple. I got to watch a couple more now. Uh, It's, it's definitely worth it. It it is. Um, the, the, The tale of these, these members of a field hospital during the Korean war really just touches on so many great themes and, and everyone involved. (laughs) If you're listening to this, I would be shocked, but we salute you. We thank you for, you know, what you've contributed to the field of, of media and television. Uh, MASH really, really is an incredible, incredible groundbreaking show that, uh, that, that, that we honor and, and adore and hope, hope you do too. And if you do uh, just let us know on our socials, shameless social plug, I suppose, but have you seen MASH? Will you see MASH? Yeah. Let us know. Tw- uh, Twitch.tv. No, not Twitch.tv. Twitter.com slash CCC podcast. Uh, before we uh, changed uh, topics really quick, there is something that we have that we are delighted to share exclusively with the Triple C podcast crowd. So I started preparation for this a year ago. So which goes to show you how like uh, how far in advance I was uh, ready for this. But I reached out to as many of the still with us cast members as I could. Uh, contacting their publicists and their agents and their managers to see if we could try to get uh, audio quotes, you know, like, like just like them recording some little uh, stream of consciousness about the show, their time on it. And the fact, you know, it's like a 50, the 50th anniversary, which is a big deal, you know, for a show like this, that was on the air for 11, 11 seasons and had such a cultural impact. Uh, I was very fortunate to correspond with Mr. Mike Farrell, who played the character of Captain of Captain uh, B.J. Honeycutt from, uh, I believe, season four. No, I'm double checking really quick. Yeah, season four all the way to season 11. And what we have now for you here uh, from uh, Mike, Mr. Mike Farrell himself, is just his thoughts about the uh, about his time. So enjoy. Regarding MASH. Uh, I spent eight years as a member of the cast of MASH. B.J. Honeycutt was the character I played, and uh, it was the finest experience, professional experience I've ever had. And it was one of the most wonderful personal experiences I've ever had. I worked with wonderful people doing really serious work in a comedy because ours was a very unusual show. It was a show about life, about people 
who cared enough to dedicate themselves to the work of healing and mending bodies wounded in war. The opportunity to be part of this show was one that I had prayed, I, I, I don't mean literally prayed to be part of that show, but had looked for, hoped for all my life to be part of something that was meaningful and professionally done and thoughtful about human value. And this show was all of that and more. Um, MASH was an extraordinary experience to be part of. It was an extraordinary experience to be able to be part of what I, what I saw as a, a, a creative community. Uh, they asked us, the, they, the producers and writers, asked us, the actors, uh, for ideas, for thoughts, for... They wanted our input, which was very unusual uh, at that point in time in television. And uh, they got it, and we were all then part... We were part of the writing team, and we were part of the directing team, and we were the actors as well. It was a dream, truly come true. And it's hard to believe that the show ended so long ago <laughs> now <laughs> that that I can I can't comprehend the fact that it's over. My we became a family. We remain a family. Those of us who are still still alive and kicking uh, stay in touch or, and are constantly overwhelmed and thrilled by the reaction the show continues to get. I get mail every day, messages from people expressing their gratitude for the show and what it meant, expressing their appreciation for the people on the show and the work that was done, expressing their identification with the characters and the message of the show. MASH was one of a kind, really. Some people say the best in television. It's certainly, in my view, one of the, one of the best ever. And I, and I left the show. We make the cho make the, made the choice to end the show, and I, and I left the show knowing that I, it was unlikely that I'd ever work on anything again that had all of the elements that MASH had. It, it really proved what was possible, I think, in, in television. So it was a gift to me, and I'm forever grateful to the audience, to the people who selected me to be part of the show, to the cast and the crew and the company that supported me so much, uh, cared for the end, the, the, the result of what we did and gave every bit of their talent and energy and uh, concern for uh, what was a, a, a truly one-of-a-kind one experience. So moving on, you know, we're talking about culture of the 70s, a movie that is a cornerstone of geek and pop culture lore whose cast Ooh. members are known throughout the world for being a cheeky bunch of buggers. I am not talking about uh, those bright boys and girls from Saturday Night Live, though, you know, Lord love them. We, we, we adore uh, Bill Murray and Belushi and all the rest. You know, I'm talking about from those bright boys from over the seas, the intrepid band of Monty Python's Flying Circus. They're getting a tabletop RPG, Monty Python, and the Holy Grail is getting... Oh, no, sorry. Don't call it an RPG. It is the Monty Python's co-curricular medieval reenactment program. 
I love the little blurb in this article, right? For those concerned that this will turn their Monty Python-loving friends into even more unstoppable quote fiends, designers Brian Saliba and Craig Schaefer told the folks at Dicebreaker that they were interested in making the game much more than that. We were adamant uh, about, uh, sorry, what we were adamant about is it can't be a replication of scenes from the movies and TV shows, said Saliba in the Dicebreaker interview. It's, it's more a matter of providing a toolbox of stuff that people can create stories that feel very Monty Python without recreating scenes. So you're essentially getting a big Monty Python mashup tabletop RPG that's couched in the world, it seems, of Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which is incredible which is uh, listen <laughs> i don't know if we need as like a monty python cinematic universe but i mean who doesn't want to do a campaign as the spanish inquisition just just running amok through different other monty python sketches and combating those characters that is the campaign i want to play and i would love to do a campaign of this with you um you can find this on kickstarter as well if you want to support it uh, this looks really fun. I don't know. What, what do you What do you guys think? What kind of a campaign would you run with it? If you so could? I am normally all down for new RPGs. I have zero desire. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. To touch this. No. <laughs> oh, uh, why's that? I just... When I DM, there's a story that I want to tell. And there's room for goofiness and silliness in the story, but like... When you run Monty Python, the RPG, I'm sorry, the co-curricular medieval historical reenactment thingamajig, you can't tell a serious Monty Python story. Like, that's just not allowed. I, I don't know. I think you might be able to, like, count, you know, have it serious in the middle and absurd on the outside as you move forward I, I i guess like i don't know if the point is even to tell a serious story this kind of just has to be your thing i guess you kind of have to know monty python and and, and, and get it and kind of know how to de deliver it somewhat like the boys you kind of you know hopefully it doesn't require you too much to be a monty python super fan and be a hundred percent in john cleese's mindset you know what i mean in order to have fun with this. Um, you I, I have do, to perform a seance and physically invite the soul of John Cleese to impart knowledge into your brain. But he's still alive. Why don't you just you go talk to him? He's not dead. No, no. He's, <laughs> like, I'm sure he's some kind of soul mancer now at this point, able to impart humor directly into people's minds. So I'm good with that. 
just run like a like a blood spell and then his like his 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 wall phone his landline starts ringing like hello oh you again yes what you need to what fine fine give me 15 minutes i have to go find a cow (laughs) and blow it up Ah man i Uh, I think there are a lot of possibilities but josh what, what, what do you think i mean i'm very on board with this and I realize it's not going to be a quote then fest. You can DM it gladly. Like I was going to ask anyway if you were going to be such a stick in the mud. Stick in the mud. Hang about. I've tolerated a lot of shenanigans from <laughs> you people. I just uh, happen to want to tell a story anyway. But that's not what we're here for. I'm. Uh, that's about, no. So I think will you I be backing it on Kickstarter? Uh, well, you. It's already the Kickstarter is already over. So. I, I I would like to hope that, and I'll do a little more digging to find out if this game will get a general release or not. Because oh, they you, have to like I, no, they don't have to, dude. I mean, obviously, a full game like this, if it has generated enough interest, and they clearly did, because they obviously like you know it's becoming a thing for the backers. But we don't know if that's going to be the case. I've seen plenty of gaming uh, Kickstarters that have been fulfilled, and it's only for the fans. Like, there was an amazing one a few years ago in 2019 that was Batman the Animated Series. And it came with figurines of every character, all 3D printed, that you can paint from Batman to Clayface to the freaking Batmobile. And, like... It, it was. It looked like the most amazing thing in the world, but the money that would have cost to like buy into the campaign to the Kickstarter to even get the basic package for us to enjoy, I was like, "Ooh, I love this, but not that much." And that's not to like smack, you know, campaigns like this, but it's like you have to be smart about where you spend your money. You know, you- I I have good news for you, Josh. Just in case it doesn't get a general release. Yar har fiddly dee. Yeah, not pirate, it's already free. Is it though? Um to, and <laughs> normally I do not support piracy, but if they won't sell it to you, that I mean, listen, piracy bad, but if they quite literally will not sell it to you, I'm not sure what else a human being is supposed to do. Like I would love to play the battle for Middle Earth again, and I would love to give someone money for it. I keep throwing money out the window, but nobody gives me this game. <laughs> Somebody, please. Give me the Battle for Middle Earth. Don't. Ah, it was such a fun game. Oh, I'm sorry, friend. Kickstart it. Or Indiegogo go get. Indiegogo get. Indiegogurt? In, Indiegogurt, yeah. Yeah, you know Indiegogurt what? You, you know what isn't going to get. You know what apparently isn't getting kickstarted? The. Um, Dan Lin's role as DC's uh, chief of <laughs> film and TV talks broke down Hey-o! and he's no longer in the Dang. mix, but he does have a nice background. He's been in the Warner brothers world a long time now, according to this article from uh, CBR, which is then pulled from the Hollywood reporter. He produced a number of the Lego based films for the company, including the Lego movie, the Lego movie Two, the Lego Batman movie. And even though I didn't see it, the Lego Ninjago movie. And he was on production for Sherlock Holmes and Game of Shadows. So I'm sad that he's actually not getting this role because he clearly knows how to be a part of that creative world and bring mm-hmm. about solid projects. Now, again, I didn't see Ninjago, but I saw Lego Batman and Lego Movie 1 and 2. So I mean, come on. Lego Batman was like actually amazing. 
Yeah, yeah it was actually it really was. It was. It was one of the like, best Batman I, movies, period. It really was. Yeah, Denlin also was the producer on The Departed, It, and Godzilla vs. Kong. And uh, we don't have a concrete answer as to why he turned down the role. Possibly something to do with his production studio, Rideback, which has an ongoing deal with Universal Studios, if that would be too complicated and or expensive to uncouple those two and then recouple to Warner Brothers. Or it might have something to do with how the new Warner Brothers CEO, David Zaslav, has been treating HBO Max and all of its Warner Brother properties lately. I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was both, is all that I'm saying. Uh, so they're going to have to, they're going to have to keep looking for their own Kevin Feige cause not going to find one anytime soon. I, I, I don't listen. I don't wish ill on someone and I definitely don't wish for someone to lose their job, but I, I wonder how much longer David Zaslav has with how Warner brothers, the direction it's been going over the past few months, because this is pretty disastrous. I don't know. Maybe I'm overreading this, but geez, this has been a rough, Rough time for Warner Brothers and DC in particular. Just give me Batgirl and everybody can go to sleep in their own beds tonight. <laughs> oh my God. Josh is turning hey, into the Joker. Real talk, no. Real talk. Where's our where's our outcry for, for Batgirl? Uh, yeah, well, Snyder cut bots. Uh, I have to there wasn't... I, Well, I think part of the problem is, sorry to jump on your toes, Kevin, is the mm. fact that Batgirl is more or less done. It just didn't finish getting, it just didn't make itself through the editing process. I guess you could call it, it's like it's halfway out the door and onto this and onto the world stage. It just needs to be given that extra nudge and that extra time. The Snyder cut, it's different because we lost Zack Snyder halfway through and then DC decided, the money men at DC decided mm -hmm. to poke their noses in because of that's the fact, even worse that's the my movie's point. done that's my point that's my point like this the, it may eventually happen we have to have hope and whether or not it will get the same dedicated outcry that the snyder cut had can only time will tell but i have to believe that fans will want this movie to happen especially because if we do get the flash even with all of the brouhaha that ezra, as that ezra miller has been getting themselves into that will help spur conversation to get Batgirl to be finished. Because remember, with The Flash, we're getting Michael Keaton back after a 30-year absence as Batman. And in Batgirl, he is playing Batman. He is he was supposed to and is, you know, Batman in that role as in that film as well. I have and, to believe that it will spur the conversation. And Zach, there's also the fact that with the Snyder Cut, you had the build of Man of Steel and then BVS, and then the tone completely changed and was inconsistent. So I think if there was some sort of some version of Batgirl or something that that that, that hype could have built upon to begin with, then you might see the same response. But right now, it kind of has to come from nothing, you know, especially without bot support. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. But I, I agree with you that I think it should be released and it should be seen. That does not diminish that fact at all. But yeah, looks like they're going to have to be, uh, they're going to have to keep looking. Uh, just like GameStop is, conti continues to look for new ways for us to despise them. Oh, I, I just, okay. I hate, 
I hate talking about GameStop. I, I really do. But they keep doing such awful things that we need to, to tell you all about. They Listeners, keep coming back, baby. They can't. We every time we think we're out, they keep pulling us back in. And what do they do this time? Well, GameStop uh, has been accused of wiretapping customers without their consent as part of the uh, basically the customer service portion of GameStop.com. This is a lawsuit being brought forth uh, by by the state of California. So. What's what it's alleging is that without any sort of forewarning and California law states that companies have to state that their conversation, their audio is going to be collected. There's nothing on that in the website saying that if you interact with their customer service suite, that it's going to it's going to capture your voice if you decide to talk to the robot or whoever. And then they said, you know, they sold that company, that information to I don't have the name of the company, but. Um, it's, it's, it's out there. You can find it if you look up GameStop and this whole situation, this whole situation, but sell it to a third party, et cetera, et cetera. So the good news, the good news in all this, if you are listening, you may be entitled to compensation. Has GameStop stolen your information? Please call now. Uh, that's really the only thing. Keep an eye out for, uh, this cl- class action lawsuit that is, uh, that is on the way, but Wow. Wow, 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 wow. First the NFT, th- it just keeps, it just, man, you would need like a comical Santa Claus scroll of na- of names and events rolling down your desk to the floor in order to capture all the awful things GameStop has done. I don't know. End rant. What are, you, what are your thoughts? I just, this was not hard to avoid there was no reason to not have it piss off GameStop uh that's the that's the nicest wording I can use without accidentally annoying my brother um yeah it's just it's garbage it's dumb there's no reason for it and I I get more sick of GameStop every day and how and how are we going to keep moving forward with the fact that now, according to the world we're living in, the game boss at Amazon.com, Christoph Hartman, believes that, quote, there is a lot of consolidation happening in the gaming industry. And he is directly quoted as saying, in the long run, we're all dead. Every business, as long as the state doesn't interfere, will end up as a monopoly in some, some form. Not that I'm saying, quote, brackets, we at Amazon are going for that. What I'm saying is that there are fewer and fewer players. I've been doing this for 25 years, and the amount of game companies I have seen back then to what it is now, now, Activation is getting sold. Who's left? Take-Two and EA. Take-Two, I don't know. I think with GTA, everyone is steering away because it's an invitation for trouble. And EA, there's all the mumbling out there. Yeah, so this is in response to the the false rumor that Amazon was going to buy EA and just kind of looking at all the acquisitions, all of the merging into more and more monolithic entities within the gaming sphere. And if the head of Amazon gives, which Josh, I love the way you phrase it, it made it sound like he's like the final boss of Amazon, which we know is is Jeff Bezos in a, <laughs> in a suit made out of uh blue origin uh, rockets not anymore uh, bezos bezos stepped down as ceo dude i don't know who's in charge no nah, he's still he, in charge he's um, he's like the stan lee of this of this you know this this bit you know it's it's he's the, i'm sure i'm sure that's my that's my conspiracy theory but anyway uh yeah it, it just it, i just found that interesting it's more of a follow-up on on the whole 
will they won't they of Amazon and EA and and uh, whether and also whether or not Warner WB games are, are going to be you know could be potentially sold off the state Warner Brothers uh, is in in terms of films however their game division appear to have reported uh, profit so I they seem to be doing okay games and movies seem to be very different in terms of how much money is made and how and then you know even though they're both under wb at, the, at this point it seems you can kind of treat them separately yeah i mean so i i can't believe i'm gonna say this i do actually agree with this guy i think he is correct like right that's part of the reason you need a state actor in order to keep capitalism running smoothly because monopolies are the ultimate end state of a truly capitalistic society. The problem is they then ruin the capitalistic society, right? Mm -hmm. By its nature in capitalism, someone's going to make more money, right? However they do Mm -hmm. that. And once you reach a certain point, the only way for you to make more money is to obtain more market share. And at a certain point of your market share, the only way to obtain more customers is to uh, acquire or no, no, either no, 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 move no, no, no. other competition, right? So, so he's not wrong, and that's why you need an actual government entity to regulate this. I don't think there's anything malicious in what he's saying. Um, and yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I'm glad that uh, some of these mergers are being stopped because they should be stopped, right? We're yeah. we're moving towards this hideous conglomeration of AAA studios. And that's already been happening so much in the past five, 10 years. And it's having such a negative effect on creativity. And it's why so many people want indie games, you know, just for something new and creative. Yeah. I'm going to be playing an indie game on the stream more or less for that reason. Actually it's, it's, you know, it's knowing where the interest actually is, I guess. But uh, yeah, I, I found it interesting that, you know, even the head of, Amazon Games was was saying this, and and even even he is somewhat seeming to advocate for federal oversight of markets, which is you know good, <laughs> in my <Yeah>. opinion, <clears throat> at least a little bit of it, you know, because that's how child labor comes back in company towns, you know, yeah. Oh, speaking of. Uh, Hey, hey, you know what? You know what, Josh? You want to? Why don't you listen to our our next more light, lighter topic of conversation here, which will be spoiler filled, but I'm very excited to talk about here today. All right. Well, you know, uh, I don't have a song for this since we're talking about the rest of the Sandman. We're more of season one of the Sandman, but I will say episode that, seven and eight. Yes, specifically episode seven and eight. So, yeah, I don't have a I don't have a song for this right now, unfortunately, but. That's this, okay. You've had a lot of songs. Thank you. I mean, I've been doing songs for a long time. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, give your throat a re- give your throat a rest, kiddo. Get, you, you you earned mm-hmm. it. Drink some tea with lemon, a bit, maybe, of, a little uh, bit of honey in there. Inhale a couple of uh, Hall's throat lozenges and whatnot. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely the definitely the cherry ones. Love those. I swear, if they weren't nice. good, if they weren't meant to be medicational, I probably just eat them like those cherry candies you get from your grandma out of her purse. I feel that way about chewable Elka-Seltzer tablets. But anyway, uh, back to Sandman. <laughs> okay, then. Uh, somebody clearly likes their kielbasa hot. Anyway, moving back to this. So it's episode seven and eight, The Doll's House and Playing House, which is more or less 
the first the, the setup for the famous serial killer convention, which comprised the main chunk of the second set of issues of the original Sandman uh, series run from the from the late 80s into the 90s. And we are introduced to the characters of Rose Walker and Jed. Now, Rose becomes a very key player, not only throughout this season, but throughout the entire Sandman series as a whole, like not as mostly during the first chunk, but a spe- but she still is a prevalent with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Individual. It's it's a long thing involving her grandmother, her, her discovered grandmother, Unity Kincaid, who was a victim of the sleep sickness uh, that, that came about at the end of the First World War as a result of Dream being imprisoned by Roderick Burgess. And then that dovetails into, within the context of the series, the figure known as the Corinthian introduced in the very first episode, who has now, without the oversight of Morpheus, been running around the Earth for, you know, a hundred years, being a complete, being a serial killer and generating so much interest from everybody else that this is what leads into the convention. It's seen as kind of like them being homage-like to the uh, Mm -hmm. Corinthians role as the, like, as a serial killer. In the comic, it's more like just a reaction to the, all of the prevalent serial killers of the 1980s and, and, you know, previous decades. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here here it's uh, more like a Manson family cult wish. Yeah, basically, basically. And you have Rose Walker, who is the dream vortex. She is essentially sucking in the dreams of everyone in the world. Everyone's going to be in a single MMO dream and then sleep forever. And that's no good. But uh, I'm actually pretty cool with that one. Going to be honest. (laughs) I I don't mind. Out of all the apocalypses and nice, nice, you know, rest, nice night's sleep. Wouldn't be to the Rip rip Van Winkle this thing. You know, why why not? Well, and not Uh, only that, right? Like. That's an apocalypse that'll sort itself out pretty quick, right? Because uh, we're all we're all stuck in a dream for two or three weeks, and then everybody's dead. Apocalypse over. Problem El Salvo. That would be an interesting, actually, an interesting show. Like you have that one survivor that's trying to like break into the dream space. But anyway, uh, what's interesting They're about trying to break into the dream space so they don't die alone? That you should you, listen. That's some ideas. You should. You should some of these down it's not too bad uh but kaya Ra as uh, rose walker fantastic and very expressive performance um she with her ability as the the vortex is able to just whoop right into dream's throne room and lucian is like what how did you did you did you give her the past the passcode morpheus you gotta stop leave the door open man i swear to god i swear 
but I, I'm going to be mi mixing these two episodes up because we get introduced to some characters who are very crucial to DC Comics, actually, who uh, I don't believe they're going to be going with the same backstory that they have uh that, that the actual Sandman comic was relying on. We have the character of Lyda Hall and Hector Hall. Uh, Lyda Hall is actually the daughter of Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor. And Hector Hall is uh, the son of uh, Hawkman and Hawkwoman, even though I, I doubt they're going to actually be connected. It's just the same name. Um, Hector Hall, he was the second Sandman, right? Jack Kirby, creator of Marvel Comics, went over to DC. DC's like, hey, take the Sandman character from the forties, do something interesting with it. And he made the uh, version of Sandman that you basically see in that second episode uh, in, in Je Jed uh, Walker's uh, dream fantasy, which uh, do, do, does anyone have thoughts on that second episode, which I really, I really like that second one uh, a little bit better. And I watched these back to back and, and seven and eight really kind of go together. Well, you can really tell that there's a, a pace. Being I would say they're, narratively. they're one of the, like we've been watching these in in pairs of two uh, for no particular reason other than it it seems like an easy way to do it. Uh, but I do I do think that's one of the better ways to do it, at least for these two. Yeah, seven and eight pair very well. And what's interesting is with the Sandman comic, that first volume, uh, Neil Gaiman was still trying to figure out what the series was going to be. He was still trying to figure out what the appeal was and that's why if you go back you read that first volume of sandman if you've seen the show you want to read the comics like there are a lot why is martian manhunter show up who's this scott free guy what and starting at the second volume a lot of that dc connection goes away with the exception of of these two which you really they don't need to be connected um, and then the sandman series starts to have its own pace its own identity more or less away from the dc universe and it starts with where we're at in the story now and you really get that sense right like all the episodes before now felt more or less like self-contained shorts that's sort of interconnected and now it really feels like the story is building more organically um, you also have, oh, Josh, forgive me. Who was the, the nightmare who was in Jed's dream and kind of uh, uh, helping him out, I guess? Uh, her name is Galt, but uh, Galt, actually right. they changed that because in the original comic, it was um, you. Kudos on you, uh, Kevin. If this was uh, the House Cup, I would have. I don't know if you're Gryffindor or Slytherin or Ravenclaw or Hufflepuff, but for the sake of it, because it's Hufflepuff, you, I'm putting baby. you. Okay, I'm I'm giving uh, 50 points to Hufflepuff for knowing your comic book lore, and I'm taking two points away because it wasn't actually Hector Hall in the original comic. It was a guy named Garrett Sanford, and then they rolled it mm. over into the original All Star. Uh, comic that Roy Thomas wrote, which was like building off of like all of the DC golden age stuff that had been kind of bisected up by the crisis on infinite earths. And then Hector Hall became the third Sandman using the title as a mortal champion. Ah, okay. So you're not, Got you're happy. You're, 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 you're 90% right. 10% wrong. I'm not unwrong and I'll take it. No, uh, but in the in the original comic, it was in fact the two original nightmares that hung out with the second Sandman, a characters named Brute and Glob, and I like that they changed it to make it a, a character who would be much less scary 
and more friendly and more sympathetic because in the original comic, these two guys just were like night minor nightmares under Morpheus's rule. And then, you know, Morpheus gets his silly butt locked away for, for 70 years and they just decide, you know what, we're going to make our own dream king. We didn't know if you were coming back. So that's when they seal Jed's brain off from the dreaming, pluck Hector's ghost and turn him into the new Sandman. Like in the comics, it's a little more dramatic and a little more effed up. Uh, no, uh, yeah, it's, fracked up, it's I should say. Yeah, um, it's it's very it's very it's slightly different in the comic and requires maybe a bit more knowledge. But the fact that that whole arc is happening to Jed and not to Hector, I think works a lot better. Um, I don't know if it's inadvertently saying, "Hey, Jack Kirby's art is very kid-like," which I I would tend to disagree with. Uh, but I think it made more sense for this kid who is trying to escape the the abuse of his father and the more or less neglect of his mo- of his uh, uh, foster mom, um, foster dad and foster mom. Uh, that whole thing was really interesting. The Corinthian coming in and uh, killing not only the semi negligent uh, care care worker caseworker, but also both of the foster parents. Which I don't know if the mom deserved that, but hey, it's the Corinthian. What what do you expect? I only wish I could have seen what happened to the dad, but uh, that's that's about it. Maybe best left to the imagination. Zach, do you have any uh, thoughts? No, you guys really covered most of my thoughts. Um, I'm trying to say it. I've just been kind of quietly enjoying this, right? I Like, I watch my two episodes and I go, yes, this was enjoyable. And then I move on with my day, right? It's weird. To, it, it's one of the few shows where mm. I'm just like, yes, I'm enjoying consuming this at the pace, right? Some shows yes, it's kind of slowly. a chore for me to get through and other shows I'm like, no, 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 no. I got to binge all of this. I got to get it all. Got to see it all right now. This show, I'm like, you know what? This is a good pace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two episodes a week it gives you enough to chew on. Like, and we really, like, at least me personally, I really am watching this, like the week that these episodes come out. I've not seen, you know, eight, 9, 10 or 11. Um, I guess we'll next week we would do let's do not maybe how about this what do you what do you say next week we do nine and ten and then save eleven for a special occasion copacetic I'm down I'm down to clown Thanks. so I mean dude this show keeps getting better like it's it's just it's great and it feels like it's hit the same type of new stride that the comic has uh, by this point like it's such an amazingly faithful adaptation Neil and everyone involved should be proud. This is such such an amazing show. I'm so glad we have a good Sandman show. Oh my god! Well, the, like I need just, just one like, really pinch myself. No, you're, yeah, please go ahead, pinch yourself. Uh, but one thing I just need to acknowledge is the fact that uh, people will remember that last year, as developments were being made about the Sandman show, and it was uh, you know I I give them props for keeping things as close to the chest as they did and only trickling out essential information like casting and stuff and uh you know like the, then the teaser trailer and set photos and things to give us that little taste so that we would want to watch this but neil did answer my question if you'll recall i tweeted him from our twitter account at triple c podcast as to which of the other sandmen would show up wesley dodds the golden age sandman or hector hall's sandman and we did get even though it was you know jed's dream that version of the Sandman, this campy, mm. over-the-top, uh, cape-and-tight superhero battling goofy villains. Although, 
I love the fact that they had one of the villains in the show be the Pied Piper, who is a yeah, people yeah. remember that's a long-standing Flash family villain. He, like, there were a that lot was of uh, clever. Yeah, there were some actually a DC characters on the screen. I saw Captain Cold. I saw Psycho Pirate. He mentions Johnny Sorrow. If you look in the background, you can see a, a Batman, Wonder Woman, and Flash figure kind of blurred in the back. It's uh, yeah, they really they really flex the the DC part there. Uh, yeah, great, great stuff. Episode seven and eight. Mwah. This this show keeps keeps killing it. It keeps keeps killing it week after week that we watch it, it keeps killing it um speaking of something that absolutely killed it before we sign off uh, i want to mention something that zach and i actually went to the other day which was an absolute blast zach i want to thank you for for uh treating myself uh treating us both to this it's the final fantasy distant worlds choral concert oh my god it was a tour de force or orchestral versions of uh, all the best tracks from Final Fantasy with an accompanying AV uh, presentation kind of going through the history of the games, uh, the moments that, that really fits these tracks. And they had everything, everything, everything. Uh, Zach, what, what did you think? Because I, I really want you to, to weigh in. I mean, listen, the whole thing was a lot of fun. Ever, ever since I found out, I originally started going to like symphony medley kind of concerts for video game stuff when i found that there was one for the legend of zelda because legend of zelda has has been a series near and dear to my heart for a very long time it's some of the first games i ever really played like played all the way through to completion beat the heck out of them uh and so getting to do that with final fantasy which was another game that i played very early on uh in my gaming life cycle was awesome um there was so much stuff in there that was great um I think what was really, really cool was uh, the original, uh, the composer for Final Fantasy 15 was there. So we got a a new, new, I get, I'm not sure how you say it. Like it was a redux of, of a song mm. from 15, which was really cool. Yeah. Uh, and then the original Riku from Final Fantasy 10 was there. The, the original Japanese voice actress. So she sang oh. during the, the oh, song. Oh, I didn't realize that, that, that was the Japanese voice actress within the game as well. That's amazing. Yeah, no, no, that was the original Riku. Like, that was Riku. So it's like, oh, oh, that's cool. Yeah, wow. Um, okay. I got to say, out of all the things that I liked the most, uh, it was, it's going to sound, it was probably the battle medley for one through six. That was just great. That, that slapped, that um, slapped. And, and course, then uh, there's another thing oh. that I want to give a special shout out to, but we'll let Kevin get there. Whoo. Okay. So we get through the concert, about a two hour uh, concert with an intermission. And we get to the end, right? Uh, the the maestro walks off, and we're clapping. And Zach and I look at each other like, we have not heard one winged angel yet. Yeah, I, well, I was gonna say, Kevin was so excited for it, and I was like, I don't know. I, as far as I know, they've done it at a couple ones in the past, so they might not do it at this one. I was like, you know, don't don't get your hopes up, Kevin, because I'm gonna be clear. I went into this blind. I genuinely <laughs> didn't know the set list. So they come back for obviously a three song encore and it started with the, uh, God, I don't know what it was. It's basically like the respawn tune, like, dun, 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 you know, you know yeah, when yeah. you, when you die. Yeah. Basically when you die in the game. And then I forgot I was in the middle. And the last thing that they played was one winged angel and I lost my shit. And I am so the glad whole audience lost their shit, dude. It, I'm, I'm so it was great glad they, they didn't announce it. And they just start with, 
they start with that violin sting. Bum, 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 and everybody bum, lost bum, it. Bum, 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 bum. Oh, and they use Advent Children uh, footage for that, too. So it was just, <laughs> oh, my God. So if you can get a ticket to this, yeah, go. Even if you don't like Final Fantasy, the music stands alone. It really does. And after yes. this experience, I, I have legitimately been looking for other things like this. I've been looking for a Kingdom Hearts one. Uh, I've been looking for Zelda. I've been looking for like a, a, a Looney Tunes live in concert. And one thing I found that I would love to, uh, and I wanted maybe give a recommendation for all you all who may be listening. Um, I'm not normally a classical music guy, but I discovered a piece of music called The Planets by Gustav Holst from 1918 that heavily, and I mean, I mean heavily inspired John Williams, right? Listening to this thing feels like you're getting a kaleidoscope of Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and like loony and, you know, plucky little Looney Tunes and like magical Disney stuff all in one because it all came from this suite about the, the outer planets of the solar system, every planet except for the Earth. And I want to hear that in concert so badly because it feels so cinematic. So that's my endorsement for a slap in piece of classical music, Gustav Holst, The Planets, absolutely ahead of its time. Um, and uh, Distant Worlds, Final Fantasy, man, check it out. Look for tickets. You will not regret it. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, Zach, for taking me. It was honestly un unforgettable. So fun. So, so fun. fun. So before we sign off for the day, um, I want to give a shout out on Wednesday. If you all are listening and you're, you're around at around 6.30 Central Time, uh, I'm running the Comics, Culture, and Cosplay stream, as always. That's twitch.tv slash podcast. And uh, how I kind of break it up is I, I play for two hours. I do uh, one sort of random little indie game or just something uh, just to unwind with at the end of a long day for the first hour. And the second hour is story. Now, first hour, I'm going to be playing an indie game called Ovivo, which looks very interesting. And uh, I don't know what I'm going to be playing for the story game. So stick around. Keep an eye on our Facebook, our socials. So I'll be making a post closer uh, to Wednesday uh, about that. So twitch.tv slash podcast. And don't forget to check out Fandom Limb Media as well. And from all of us here, I'm Kevin. I'm Josh. I'm literally googling right now trying to find more video game concerts and don't don't be uh, afraid to be true to the nerd that is within you and we will see you same nerd time same nerd channel bye for now everyone